Hello and welcome to the Winter Olympics. So wait, no, this is news of the world. Actually, the Tim is looking at me. Such a good podcast. <laughs> I, I was going to do a rush. Uh, Winter Olympics correspondent Tim Pritlove is uh, in the studio with us here in Berlin. Oh, look at that, Tim. My name is Mark. I didn't identify myself, but I wanted to point out that, that we're sitting across from each other. That's true. Yeah. I keep looking at my screen just as a reflex <laughs> to see if Tim is in the screen. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, because you have been visiting Berlin. I am. I am tourist. Yes, you're a tourist. Yes. Welcome. We welcome the world here. You know, everybody welcome. As long as you're not messing up with the government. Yeah. Unlike the Winter Olympics, you can actually wear a hat and gloves here in Berlin. <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I don't think they need them over there. But yeah, today is the big opening of the Winter Olympics. We actually don't have that much to say about it because we are the kind of news program that looks at the other stories. Yes, yeah, true. But occasionally we like to talk about... Or, yeah, or we're looking at it after it ha happened a long true. time ago and everybody else has already said something about it. And then we just add our two cents. That's right. So today we're just going to watch what happens with the Winter Olympics and, and all the activities around the world related. And then next week you may hear us talking about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we give informed comments. Something mm. like, ah, ah. Yeah. Teehee. A lot of that. <laughs> so we're very glad to have you with us as we roll down some of the news stories from both this week and last week, uh, as I was still returning from Dubai, uh, but now I'm officially back and acclimated to this weather and this life. You are. Mm -hmm. But it took a while. I guess. A little while, yeah. yeah. Well, after all the stories from, from Dubai, really have to get back into regular life and see which ones are going to be published. And uh, Well, I've told you guys all about that so many times. But uh, let's get to the news. And I wanted to start with an American story uh, this week, both because, well, it's big in terms of the United States, but also what happens in the U.S., of course, has impact around the world. And the U.S. passed a new farm bill. It's been a while since they did something like this. Um, Obama put the stamp or, or whoever signs the paper. And, well, it's real now. New farm bill with big consequences. And this also has an effect. I guess we can talk about it at the end of this item. Uh, for whatever the EU does with, with future um, reform to the common agricultural policy. But so the big news is... It's a major victory for big agribusiness, uh, so the big farmers, but that's not the whole story. Uh, they've expanded their agribusiness insurance program, so uh, they've increased the amount that will be spent on that over the next 10 years, uh, and they've cut $8 billion in food stamps over the next 10 years. And food stamps is what it sounds like. It's what poor people use to eat, to buy food. Uh, you sort of can apply for this program if you make below a certain amount. Well, they're going to be cutting that. And they actually did throw in some little details where you can get uh, a discount on fruits and vegetables. Like they want to encourage healthy eating, even among the poor. Um, but so that's in the pages, the 1,000 pages of this bill. Uh, but generally, it's a it's a big victory for the big farmers. And that's sort of a tradition with farm bills from the United States. Um, we'll see what happens now globally. Uh, but, uh, yeah. But what's the official pitch 
to what's the reason why this bill exists in the first place? I mean, what kind of problem did they want to solve officially? Well, a lot like in the in in the EU, uh, farmers look to the government a lot. Even though it's America and we say like, I don't need no government, stay out of my business, but farming has a long tradition of looking at their government and saying, "Hey, uh we're having a bad year." And you get your subsidy in some form. So whereas it was hard enough for someone to get health insurance in the US until most recently when apparently you can, if even if you don't have a lot of money, uh, on the other hand, farmers could get insurance for when there's a drought or some disaster of some kind, they could still get paid. And that was a government program. <clears throat> and there's no lack of disasters. No, there haven't been. There's been a, yeah, a lot of problems from weather to, well, it's always weather related somehow. Uh, but uh, yeah, the extreme weather that Just affects in the recent uh, month, the big uh, cold and tornadoes and everything. Yeah. And so they look to their government representatives and these elected officials have to please their farmers to a certain extent. I mean, you, if you look on the, the comments and the people involved with this bill, you'll see both so-called Democrats and so-called Republicans uh, both going for it. Uh, it. It's a mixed bag because they all have to please their farmers. It's very hard to say, oh, I'm a Democrat. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to give you that insurance. Or So this is one of those cases where both sides can come together. It just depends on who we're talking about. Yeah, the Purple Alliance. Yeah, is that what it's called? No, I oh. just made this up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have such a thing as blue dog Democrats who are who vote with Republic. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, also, a nice little side detail: big victory for the catfish industry. I've never seen this published in text before, but uh, the catfish industry benefited with a provision that moved catfish inspections out of the Food and Drug Administration and into a new office at the agricultural department. And apparently this is really good for catfish, which is uh, affecting the southern United States because they love their catfish. That's only about <laughs> one sort of fish. Yes. <laughs> and all the other kinds of fish, I, nobody cares. I think they're, nobody cares. Well, they didn't need this change, apparently. Oh. Yeah, but it's 1,000 pages, so I would confess I haven't looked through... Maybe there's other fish mentioned. So, But why are food stamps cut? I mean, what's the relationship here? Uh, on the one hand, I think there's a political game being played, which is sort of saying, like, hey, people, you have to pick yourselves up, and we don't, we don't give you food. Um, on the other hand... I think they they're, they switched what they call it. You know, in other words, they're giving discounts on fruits and vegetables, or they're giving ways of of getting yeah uh, lower cost fruits and vegetables to the poor. So they're changing what it's called, but they still have a program for feeding people. Um, but I think it's a political game where you say like, yeah, we don't give food stamps anymore. You have to pick yourself up. So that. Yeah, that's a political wave that's going on in the U.S. Um, some people say food stamps is a program that needed reforming anyway. So this is their version of reforming it by cutting it. Uh, but I, I think this is it's a political victim in many ways. Yeah, have you... So so Jackie Spire didn't have any impact with her glorious speech. Did you, have you seen that? I have not seen this. What is it? No, she was, she was uh, uh, at uh, a congress and she was uh, holding up vodka, uh, a steak... Okay. And um, <laughs> I see. it was sort of framing her a speech on how this can't be. Um, 
I well, I, I think this would make for an excellent uh, bonus track at the end. Okay. Uh, we can yes, she's holding up vodka. She's holding up vodka. She's even holding up a plate with a steak on it. And what's her point? Uh, her point is in general that you know we're spending so much money uh, oh. on 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 so many things, and that the food stamp program is uh, actually serving um, um, you know real people. And uh, she has she gave that example. She has actually tried to live on food stamps for oh, yeah. a week, yeah, and was you know telling everybody how horrible that was. Mm -hmm. But for her, it was just a week, and you know. Yeah. everybody else it's it's daily reality yeah yeah so see what she was basically uh trying to uh address you know that politics could also be about people but nobody really <laughs> yeah and she is from california so we just ignore her yeah but, but her speech was then you know quickly became quickly famous on the internet with the uh, obvious uh result of interesting remixes memification yes uh, and so the, the the question that's coming up for people in the eu is um there will be a reform of the common agricultural policy there are advisory boards on this you can even track them uh the corporate european observatory reports a lot on this and uh they're going to change some policies in the coming years and they could also go this way not not the way of food stamps and all that but this whole thing of uh, farmers' insurance or, or subsidies to large farming businesses versus smaller farmers, uh, we, we could see stuff like that. Even though there is a strong spirit uh, in the EU against, for example, the big agribusinesses like a Monsanto, but still uh, they have a lot of power when it comes to lobbying and, uh, well, getting help from the government, even if people don't support them. So that's the farm bill from the US, and we'll stay tuned for what maybe a farm change uh, in the EU. Okay, and we're linking to New York Times. Yep, um, they have a breakdown of who's the big winners and who's the losers and what's in between. Okay. Yes. Now let's stay in the Western Hemisphere and let's go to Peru. We don't report that much from Peru. Uh, I caught this one uh, last week. Uh, there's an expansion that's been approved by the Peruvian government. Approved by the Peruvian government. That's really... Uh, of approved. The, <laughs> approved. <laughs> of the Camisea gas project. I, I never heard of it. I went looking. Uh, Camisea gas project goes back to the 80s. This was discovered by Shell, actually. And the more you read about it, the more you find that this Camisea gas project has always had a number of problems. It's made the news because the new expansion will take it into um, tr isolated Amazon tribal areas, uh, specifically this Nahua Namti Reserve. It's about 100 kilometers from Machu Picchu. And they're, go they're now getting the rights to drill in those areas. And of course, this is a major concern for not only the people that live there, if we can hear from them, but uh, people who have been trying to protect this region, who believe in you know respecting the rights of these sort of isolated tribes in, in different parts of South America. Um, and I looked it up, and this gas project has a long history of spills, uh, of actually breaking Peruvian law and then being challenged in, in their highest courts. Even the UN called for immediate suspension of any plans to expand it uh, due to the high likelihood of, of intrusion on the Nahua Nanti Reserve. But it seems like they're going to do it anyway, unless some higher court is going to jump in and stop them. 
Uh, so this is one of those expansion projects for fossil fuels. Even though we're in the era of, you know, green energy <laughs> and we know better, uh, this is the plan in Peru. And I, I expect a lot of protests, at least in the in in cities in Peru. But uh, when it comes down to it, out there in the in the natural reserves, I don't know if anyone can stand in the way of these machines as they come towards this reserve. Uh, so it's it's one of these news items you don't see a lot in the big uh, newspapers. You have to look in more environmental news, uh, South American newspapers, maybe. Uh, but I, I caught it in the Ecologist. Uh, which I haven't read in a while, so it was interesting to see. Um, but yeah, this is the push for more gas. Doesn't sound nice. No, no. And uh, yeah, they they have government support. I mean, it's been the presidents of Peru that have been pushing for uh, for expansion of this project since uh, I don't know. We're going back to eighty uh, six. Maybe so. Peru isn't really following the path of their uh, immediate neighbors of more nationalizing energy contracts and you know keeping the money in the country. They've never had. I'm, I'm thinking here. Have they had? Because you know, Ecuador has their um, uh, their guy, Correa. Um, they've never had their their Chavez uh, mm -hmm. to, to mention the late leader of Venezuela, and it's not to say that every South American country would, but many have uh, some type of uh, yeah more of the people kind of leader who, do, who who changes the policies from the '80s where everything was about privatization and big money. Colombia never did this, but they've got a war and they've got a, a different story going on. Yeah. But Peru is one of those countries that has never had a, a leader like that or a movement that's really been strong enough, uh, you know, like in Bolivia, where you, you have someone who's elected and it comes from the sort of minorities or minorities coming together. Yeah. Uh, no, Peru never had this. Not that I, I can remember when I look so, on that list. So like, like Chile too, they're probably not you know, really taken by this storm of left-wing revolutions, Bolivian revolution-style government change. I think, yes, they've never been taken by this, and even worse than Chile, because Chile at least has a, based on history, this spirit of, we're not going to go back to the Pinochet style. So, so now you have Michelle Bachelet coming back again, and even when she was there for the first term. She's a kind of progressive social policies... Um, you know, a change from the 80s kind of uh, leader. And she's not the only one. You know, there's a strong movement there for that. There may not be the same as the, the, the Chavez uh, kind of okay, style. Okay, nothing has ever been so <laughs> bad in Peru that they say, like, never again. I, I don't know if they've ever had the power to say never again. I think things have been bad or as bad. I mean, we've seen the resource exploration or exploitation Uh, you've got minorities that are or aren't given access to government. So I think they just, no one has come along or no movement has come along that's strong enough. I mean, they had, they had their uh, share with uh, this strange guy, Fujimori of uh, Japanese descent. He, he was quite a scandal in, in, in these days. So yeah. Maybe they're still recovering from this. And that's true. I think they're better off. Maybe they are. We don't know. Yeah. We're just... Humala is interesting, but... Yeah, not not progressive necessarily. I mean, I don't I don't see it. No. Anyway, so keep an eye on Peru and from now on I'm going to notice the name Camisea Gas because that is a name that that did not register with me when I first heard it and now 
I will keep an eye on it. And maybe we'll hear again from the, from the UN as Peru is punished for, for what they're doing. Uh, next item on the list is actually related to Syria. So I was watching and reading up on these peace negotiations in uh, Geneva. And I noticed the story of a British woman of Indian descent who's charging the Syrian leaders as they're walking down the street and yelling at them and demanding answers as to what happened to her son. So I went reading, and it turns out that this is the mother of a man named Abbas Khan, and he was a doctor from the UK. Uh, He was very into helping people, and he went to Syria with a small NGO called Human Aid. And he went to help out. I mean, we've heard stories like this before. And he was helping out in, I guess, rebel-controlled areas. And the military came and captured him. And apparently, we later find out, took him to a prison in Damascus. Uh, He was tortured, you know, asked why did he come to this country? How did he get in? Why is he helping the rebels? Uh, The mom finally realizes, because the son had lied to her about going there so that she didn't get nervous. Uh, The mom finds out she goes to Syria. She's selling everything she has, bribing whoever she has to to find her son. Figures out that her son is in prison, even manages to visit him. And within, I think, a month or so of of her arriving in Syria, um, she gets word, because she can't visit him all the time, but she gets word that he's killed himself. That's what they tell her. And she doesn't believe it, because she's been talking to him, and and even though he's been tortured and he's miserable, uh, they're still hoping to get him out of there. She's asked the UK government for help to get him out. Uh, Everyone ignores her. The Syrian government hands over the body. They've embalmed the body. She can't. Apparently, it's too late to find out if he did or didn't kill himself. The investigation is very difficult at that point. And um, this is the story at this point. She's still demanding to know what happened. Now the UK government is offering her support uh, in whatever form, even though her son is you know, now dead. And this is a, a very heart sort of wrenching story and an interesting story. Um, I don't quite understand why the UK government ignored her for as long as they did. I don't know if that's for the sake of peace negotiations, if this is part of the whole, we're not sure if we're with the Syrian government or we don't know how far we want to offend them, even though I think in the, in Europe and North America, we've sort of given up on Assad, I thought. But apparently she couldn't get much support until, until now. Um, and you can even watch videos of her sort of confronting the Syrian officials. I thought it was an interesting story, one that I had totally missed. And you don't often hear the individual profiles. Like, I've been in Germany now for a day, and I did read in Der Spiegel about, like, some guy from Germany who became a rebel fighter. And so you get the occasional individual profile, depending on where you are in the world. But mostly we just hear, yeah, some people have gone, and they're doctors or they're fighters for the rebels and... Some people get killed, and but these are rare profiles that we really get to hear from, and especially in the context of a mom, it's uh, it's an interesting story. So highly recommended reading. Yeah, the <clears throat> tragedy continues and shows no sign of no. I, I and I don't even know any improvement with the whole peace all. negotiations. I don't I don't really know what's going on. I mean, I read the articles and I still don't know what's going on. I don't think there are any real negotiations. Yeah. And now that the whole situation has been so has has developed into a, such a complex system of you know different parties, the Islamists on the one hand, the original freedom fighters <laughs> on the other hand, the Syrian government, 
And really depending on who has the best offer to make in order to get control over everything, yeah. I think is most interesting political partner, totally independent of what they're up to. Hmm. I, I think in the end, the world would be even happy with the Assad regime taking over everything again, you know, yeah. just to have it in a controlled situation. Which, That's so bad. Yeah, it comes back to that that old uh, sentiment that we heard in the beginning where some people were like, well, he's not the greatest guy, but the country, you know, at least it's under control. And this, which is the old Saddam Hussein logic as well, which people still say now. Yeah, and in, in a way it's, you know, you can't really argue that, that people have been better off before compared to the situation they're uh, in now. Not that, I'm not saying it's been a yeah. good situation uh, in general. It's just, you know, if you have to choose between, you know, political suppression on one hand uh, and a total disaster with daily war, I think the options is clear. But you know, there's no good solution in, 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 in this. No, uh, and, and all this hindsight, like, ah, you know, we could have kept this leader. No, it's The only improvement they made was that officially people were allowed to leave Homs now or will that, be... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if this will help. I don't know if this will happen. We'll see. Yeah, and uh, Assad has announced that he will run for re-election. Oh, great. I know a lot of people were wondering... <laughs> he was like breaking news yeah, there was a lot of, lot of late nights over in Damascus <laughs> not just because of the bombs oh next up actually is one I've been following via Facebook it's amazing when you know enough reporters and, or, or aid workers in different parts of the world you can follow these stories that are happening some big some small without even reading a newspaper this one originally I followed via a friend of mine who's a food aid worker in South Sudan I have a few friends like this and occasionally you get a little update, I, especially with the outbreak of violence that we've covered here over the last few weeks. You'll hear like, oh, we have to leave Juba, or we have to move for a little while, or we have to lock the doors and extra security. And I had noticed, of course, that my friends working for the World Food Program have had a lot of trouble. Uh, in this case, she wasn't working in Juba, but another part of South Sudan, um, what was the name of this place? Malakal. And in the beginning, I noticed like one photo on her uh, on her Facebook page, and now it's a whole report um, with with text on the World Food Program's website, right? So not a newspaper, and it's of the the looting and basically the destruction of um, a town and a UN food camp in Malakal, uh, South Sudan, and there's some amazing images just of like, you know, normally you expect the white tents where there's maybe food operations going on. And in these photos, you'll just see, like, it looks like like just cans everywhere, empty things tipped over, the tents, the sides of the tents have been destroyed, taken away, apparently used to make shelters. And apparently the town is abandoned, and only a few people remain under the protection of the UN, or the attempted protection of the UN. And they lost, uh, what was the amount of food? It was a crazy amount of tonnage of donated food, and actually, they've managed to get a lot more in. It's amazing. Like, there are a lot of hungry people in the world. There's a lot of food aid. And then food aid gets destroyed. And it's amazing how fast it can be replaced or is replaced if organizations work hmm. well. Uh, so her photos are now published on the World Food Program website. And with uh, some, some little details, uh, like there's 27,000 people living in this 
UN uh, uh, base. And but during the political violence, which became so violence on the streets, uh, a lot of people were well, they ran off, they stole whatever they could, they grabbed food, even stealing is a weird word for it. And uh, now the UN is trying to rebuild this this camp. I think we should put put this uh, in, into context a bit because last time we've been talking about South Sudan, that's when all the new clashes started. Yeah. And from what I know, this is mostly over now. The South Sudan government has actually, yeah, won this war against these new rebels, won in, you know, quotes. Um, it all ended with an agreement to free some of those uh, captured of the rebels. So basically the deal is, okay, let our friends out and, and then see, we're yeah. done. Yeah. Um, recently, last days, I think there were still reports of, you know, some clashes here and there, not big scale. They had, um, in the last weeks. And when did this start? Two months ago? Yeah, it would have been the beginning of January. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And as these pictures show, there's still a lot of trouble ahead for South uh, Sudan. So this new country that just formed, uh, what was yeah. it, last year, two yes, years ago? it's, it's one year, year old, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're still trying to find their way. Yeah, I have reports as late as January 21st of the South Sudanese army retaking or recapturing Malakal, uh, the capital city of the oil-rich Upper Nile state. Uh, so, again, when you have articles talking about recapturing a city, this would indicate that for several weeks, this town was no longer under the control of the South Sudanese government. Yes. Um, and actually, this town had a famous clash. I just ran into it in 2006 uh, with the then Sudanese government versus the rebels. And it was one of the major uh, battles that, that would eventually lead to the, the creation of South Sudan. Uh, so this town has a uh, traumatic past recent dramatic past uh but these recent clashes left a thousand people dead and four hundred thousand people uh displaced and so the un food program is there before it happens while it happens and now in the aftermath trying to put it back together somehow or at least put back together some kind of uh system for feeding people who are displaced and don't know where the next meal is coming from Uh, interesting bunch of photos, highly recommended looking at them. I'm really into looking at photos this week and uh, checking out small series, small reports. As uh, you have been for the next yes. story. <laughs> yeah, I ran into this. I am really interested in, and I bring it to uh, here to News of the World, any information coming out of Philippines in the aftermath of Haiyan. And a lot of it is rebuilding news. Um, yeah, I, I want to know about life in that country. And I've talked a little bit about some independent reports coming out. And I ran into this via Friends of Friends in um, a magazine called The Diplomat, which is online.com, The Diplomat. There's a photo essay. It's actually two parts. Uh, and I, I wanted to recommend it if you want information about Typhoon Haiyan and the aftermath And it's basically images of what's going on in Tacloban City, which was one of the most severely hit uh, parts of the of the country, where they're still dealing with like, you know, massive destruction, debris that has to be cleared. You have giant ships that washed onto shore. Um, you have actually something you mentioned, Tim. These 
they're building temporary shelters. I remember you mentioned this about Sri Lanka, but these temporary shelters are extremely fragile, weak, and and sort of sometimes you wonder like maybe it's worse that they did this actually. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you're building temporary shelters, build something better. Um, and of course, the distribution of food. There's a lot of images related to that. And again, it's the World Food Program, so we're on the World Food Promotional Tour today. Um, <laughs> but um, it's a it's an interesting series. It's two parts. So uh, remember that when you go to the website and have a look. And these are just images that you would rarely get, uh, I think. And it's great that someone is still willing to be there and willing to report, even if it's not big money in terms of being published in big newspapers. Um, some amazing images and you do see the temporary tents and some of the the um, things that have been going on to rebuild uh, because it's not like nothing is going on lots of things are going on between organizations and even the philippine government working to establish some kind of life again for people in that region takloban city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so yeah. but we have to you know shed at least some light on the activities in Russia. We do not really have any results of the first sports <laughs> round. Yet. No. Hasn't no. actually yet started. No, uh, I'm I'm getting the reports via my dear friend Olaf Kunz, who appears on my podcast sometimes, and I mention him here a lot. He's in Sochi. Uh, he's probably the person I know best who's there right now. And right now it's just, of course, about all the problems. This is very popular on the internet. I think you even have a live tweets from a collection of reporters just talking about the disasters the hotels the the roads the whatever the, all the things that don't work uh, hotel rooms are a thousand a night and they're empty but they're insisting they're going to get a thousand a night and meanwhile back in uh, the rest of russia you know lots of things are going on have been in the lead up to these games and you actually pointed me to this uh piece of news which is about a opposition tv channel uh called dozd dozd tv and it has recently been shut down by the russian government and it all starts with i guess they're talking about topics that offend uh or oh, has it the actually been be. shut down i think it was just that the cable companies were pressured to take them off their network you know so the uh tv station itself is still there But it's just nobody can see it over regular yeah. TV channel reception equipment. So, but I don't know. Maybe they're already on the next step. And it was all, you know, there, it looks as if they were all waiting just for a, m a moment uh, where, you know, they could come up with something weird. Mm -hmm. I was actually the... TV station was doing a poll on on their uh, viewers, you know what they think if uh, it, uh, it was a good idea to keep the resistance up back in the Second World War in, in um, Leningrad because the, they weren't giving up the the city to the Germans. You know, like half of the population died. Yeah. And this is, I, I didn't really know that. This is one of those things in Russia that you can't do. There's actually a law, you know, revisionist style, oh, you know, oh. like mm -hmm. so this is established fact. And if you dispute it, you know, you're wrong. Actually, we have something like this in Germany too. Um, yes, it occurs to me. 
questionable, you know. Yes. I, I think Ahmadinejad <laughs> violated this law a couple times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, although I think that the, the actual facts are more established. Anyway, mm. uh, but they, you know, they used this as a gun to point to this uh, TV station and then forced uh, this cable provider to to remove them. Yeah. But it's no, you know, no surprise this happens just right before Sochi Winter Olympics and it's sort of the last media holdout that was, you know, uh, doing interviews with Pussy Riot and so on. <laughs> Pussy Quiet. Pussy Quiet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, so that's the catch, right? If you, you don't have to shut them down, but if you get all the broadcasters to not put their, their channel or make it available anymore, then a lot less people notice it. Although in Russia, you do have a strong tradition now of watching TV via the internet, watching everything via the internet. So this channel does still exist and people can still watch its reporting. I can see it here. It's doing stuff about the Sochi Olympics. If I spoke Russian, I could tell you what they're saying. Um, but it is known as a channel where, for example, they reported a lot about this recent opposition candidate for the mayorship of uh of, of moscow nazalny i think his name is mm -hmm. and uh you know he's known as the quintessential opposition figure the biggest threat to maybe putin's party putin himself um they cover him again this is something that that will offend the powers that be uh but it seems like you could watch it online although i'm not succeeding as i try <laughs> from my end of the table um so, yeah, you know, Russia continues to be big in the news right now. And I think that's going to continue. And maybe not just because of the Olympics, but we will see what happens. Uh, starting tonight with the opening ceremonies. Yeah, we'll see. Yes. All right, let's do news source of the week. Uh, I went for the ecologist because I just realized we've never featured them. Uh, again, it always sounds like I'm talking about the economist. But I'm talking about The Ecologist. And The Ecologist goes back to 1970. Uh, it was founded by Edward Goldsmith. He's a uh, somewhat well-known French-English philosopher, environmentalist. Actually, this magazine is linked to the founding of what is now known as the Green Party in the UK. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's what it sounds like, The Ecologist. It's a platform for environmental news. The articles will be written with a sort of activist tone. So when you read about the Peru situation, as we talked about today, you will see language that doesn't just say Peruvian government is expanding its gas project. It'll say Peruvian government is expanding their gas project to destroy tribes. You know, it'll, it'll add a little uh, emphasis and, uh, and an opinion, which is we defend the environment or we talk about when the environment's under threat. So it doesn't really hide the fact that it is, I mean, it's called the ecologist. <laughs> An ecologist is one who sort of cares and protects the environment. So it's a news source with a, with an, a slant, with a, a, a certain viewpoint, but it is very useful, especially in finding articles about uh, issues and stories that you may not see in, in big newspapers, in the media because they're not profitable in some way for reporting. So we will add uh, The Ecologist. I don't know, have you ever heard of it? I used to um, read it in paper format. I don't know, actually. Yeah. But it's still published in paper, too. Yeah, I used to see it at the newsstand in Amsterdam okay. all the time. Yeah. Although, who knows how long the, the publishing on paper thing will last. But, yeah. At least they're on the internet, too, for everybody to enjoy. Yes, 
and you'll you'll find uh, you find some uh, stories you won't see anywhere else. So I do recommend it. The new source: Ecologist at theecologist.org. Exactly, and that about does it for today. Uh, I'm here in Berlin another few days, uh, looking around, playing some frisbee, mm. enjoying the sunshine. Exactly. Not. Yes. Really. Well, there was sun yesterday. <laughs> yes, there was. Yeah. And uh, we'll check out some of your fine museums, Berlin. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a few. <laughs> <laughs> But I can't give, give any recommendations. You know, when you live in the city, you never go there. <laughs> That is a rule. Yeah. Fair enough. I'll tell you all about them then. <laughs> okay, next week. Yeah, but it's good to be in the same room as you. Sure. And uh, the studio here at Meta Ebene is looking good, as always. And uh, let's see, for everybody back home uh, listening right now, thanks for all the comments, as always, when they roll in. We enjoy them, uh, especially the ones that add information. Thanks for the flatter donations. Flatter buttons are available for you to click on, and I'm very thankful that people do. And uh, any other good news regarding our, uh, our operations or useful information? Um, well, we've had some improvements to the website throughout uh, as I'm improving the overall situation on uh, the websites of the Meta Ebene network mm -hmm. in general. So, yeah, we have some nice upgrades planned for the future, but I guess it's always better to talk about them when they're ready. Very good. Okay. And I'm still putting out shows uh, from Dubai, even though I'm not there. Don't get confused. Yeah, you, you don't really have to produce anything for the next month. You still have That's enough right. stuff. I have homework. You have yeah, homework. I do. Okay. Um, Thanks, audience. See uh, you goodbye. next week. Goodbye. Everyone knows the news is boring as hell. We might as well make a rift in the space-time. Chop it up and add a baseline. Yeah. Some of my colleagues somehow feel like heroes when they vote to cut food stamps. To cut food stamps. Oh, watch me cut this program. I'm like Superman. Had a baby with a lady named Iron Man. I'm a chick broke family's Christmas and Make a hand drum, send it to a grandstand. countries and they didn't pay a dime for a single meal no. they dine on steak vodka and caviar caviar yeah. steak vodka and caviar caviar argentina had a big fat steak russia caviar ireland potatoes all over my plate we do it all again climb aboard don't think steak, steak. Vodka, vodka and caviar caviar steak Young people want to get high. Young people want to get blasted. Young people combine the drugs with the internet. And virtually all young people text. This is an epidemic. Drug and tech abuse. Is America going to pot? Is America going to pot? Zoos and aquariums are special places. I like giraffes. They're also very happy places. Watch a primate sniff in his eyes Families visit them Again and again We shouldn't enclose the nation's zoos And aquariums 2014 is not going to be A happy year Yeah The rich are really rich And the poor are really poor Uh-huh The 
poor get poor and the rich get richer. The rich stay healthy and the poor get sicker. Your money kids go to private school with that SAT prep and the smiley face stickers. I grew up drinking straight from the cow. Everyone worked for a living, but now rich senators rob the poor from afar, sitting in Budapest eating steak and caviar. Yeah. Steak, vodka and caviar. Is America going to pop? Steak, vodka and caviar. Twenty fourteen gonna be tasty, y'all. If you're rich. <laughs>